Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. I'm Sarah Blakemore. Coming up on this episode... We'll be talking to someone whose entire career has been dedicated to making life happen through donation. On this episode, you'll hear her why and how her hero is being celebrated. And we're going to talk about social media and how we reassure Seek on it. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Lots to get to here on the Gifted Life Podcast. Here on the Gifted Life Podcast, we are happy to have Miss Pam Cart on this episode. Hey, ma'am. Well, good morning. How are you? I am good. I am good. Good. We're all smiling. I'm excited. Yeah, we have a all a connection uh, with Pam in some way, shape, or form. She's been with Lopa, which feels like forever. Yeah, yeah like uh, at least since <laughs> since uh, before uh, organ transplant took place. <laughs> <laughs> she has no. been working to make life happen for what seems like ever. Yeah. So what what was it, Pam? Uh, Sixteen. We were talking about it early. Sixteen, seventeen years. Sixteen. Well, and twenty years actually. Well, actually, twenty four years in recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. I did eye banking prior to Lopa. And that's yes. that's actually where Pam and I first met. Uh, she worked for a Southern Eye Bank. And when I started with Lopa in 2002, uh, we did a lot of travel together. We did, you know, because we serviced the same area, Southwest Louisiana for the most part. She, she did Southern Eye Bank community development. And of course, our Lafayette office kind of, we all chipped in and did some community. So we did a lot of road trips together. <sighs> Yes, yes. Good memories. Good Good times. Yeah, Sarah and I were saying, uh, what's her official title with Lopa? Well, she just does everything. I said Mm -hmm. anything and everything we need. (laughs) (laughs) But you do have a title for Lopa and you do a fantastic job. She is Lopa's forensic relations specialist and we can't thank you enough. So we kind of get into what it is that you do uh, for Lopa and for our families each and every day. Uh, But on this episode, we wanted to talk about your why and why you started doing what you do, why you're so passionate about it, and that's because of your hero. Yes. My hero is my son, Ryan Scott Clark, who was born October 31st, 1983, and deceased February 10th, 1997. And basically, um, I was working in dialysis, uh, and um uh, dialyzing patients who needed kidney transplants or um, in order to continue um, a part of a normal life, they would come and we would dialyze them and three to four times a week at three and four hours each time. And um, they had asked me the, I had worked with, um, some that were recovering corneas and whole life for transplant and research. And they had asked me um, about a year before in 96, I guess, if I would um, do that. 
on the side of dialysis. And I was like, oh, there ain't no way I could do that. <laughs> I passed out at my mama's eye surgery. The doctor had asked, do you want to uh, watch Pam? And of course, you know, I said, yes. yes. <laughs> and um, then he put me, you know, and the room was dark, dark at that time, laser surgeries and, and eye surgeries. They, you were in the dark. And so he put me watching through this microscope and I started getting hot and hotter mm-hmm. and hotter. <laughs> and I knew I needed to get out of there. And um, so I went to go to the door and the doctor's like, Pam, where are you going? I said, I got to get out. I'm, I think I'm going to pass out. Boop, that was it. <laughs> I passed out. out. And my mama had to wait on me to go home. <laughs> she was finished and I was still passed out. And to me. So, um, so I didn't know that I could. And then... Um, after a year after Ryan died, they asked me again. And I said, Oh, I don't know. I said, Well, I'm going to tell you this because, again, my passion was to um, definitely utilize gifts um, that could be used for others because we had said yes for Ryan. And um, so I said, I'll try. And so I did. And then, it, again, the passion just grew and grew and grew and grew. And then, of course, I was infatuated with LOPA and that they were able to do even more through donation and research. So I um, put in an application with LOPA and... Um, was hired on and and a lot of that came from our growth together um, because Lopa had allowed me uh, office in the Lafayette uh, building when I was working with uh, Southern Eye Bank and doing recoveries. So we uh, grew to know each other and we educated together, did community activities together. And um, so anyway, got hired. And my first uh, position with LOPA was to help educate the hospitals, physicians and nurses. And that, and, and like Joey said, in the beginning of time, it was just begging them to make the phone call mm-hmm. um, because that in itself was the beginning of, you know, donation because this was the way we were going to be notified of a potential donor once they met a certain criteria. So that was basic um, education then, and then um, giving back uh, stats and, and how these things grew and how the community grew and and even though it was a bittersweet experience, that uh, life was happening because they made that call. They picked up that phone. And, um, and so that, and then I approached families also uh, in the 
Lake Charles and Southwest Louisiana um, areas. So that, uh, and then my husband was transferred um, to the north um, part of the state. And, um, you know, I wasn't moving. <laughs> there was no way. You weren't I leaving Lopa. Oh, my goodness. I, we weren't letting I you go. Uh-huh. my dream job. <laughs> how in the world? I just couldn't, couldn't. And um, then I said, well, Lord, you know, I'm going to do it with a glad heart. And so I approached uh, my director at that time was uh, Chris. And um, so there was a need at that time for someone to help in the corners and help to educate them see how we could collaborate better and and that so i took on that role mm-hmm. and um and that's been my uh i guess heart since then is uh working with the coroners pathologists medical examiners death investigators and the funeral homes and donation and how in collaboration uh, we can do things because when I first started, we had with that position um, heart valves uh, in infants, especially under a year old, were being denied. Mm-hmm. That we were not able to recover that because the coroner needed this and needed that, and there was no way to look at the heart and um, and determine manner and cause of death and. And so I was like, well, what do we need? What do you need? And um, we were able to work together through um, collaboration and education that local could provide these things, these things they needed. We could draw the blood for them. We could provide them with a cardiac uh, path report, pictures and slides, and we can even return the heart remains. And so um, it was to get that trust. So prior to, so Pam's, Pam's journey, you know, goes from, from before, you know, when, when, before she worked for Lopa, she was impacting those mm-hmm. who had kidney disease and who needed, you know, that extension of that, that life to, to eye mm-hmm. recoveries, to with, you know, to, to working closely with me and, and our group in Lafayette to educating the community. And that's where we, we recognize we had a gym. I have to say, we knew that we had to hire Pam. We didn't know where, <laughs> but we knew that. And, and I can remember the conversations with Libby, myself, and and back then with, with Kelly, the CEO. I was like, I don't know where, but we've got to find a spot. Right. And, and special. And I think, you know, it, it, everything happens for a reason. Uh, but you know, with Victor, your husband's move kind of forced forced the hand to all right, be creative on what, where else can we look, and for for an opportunity for you, and that coroner's 
and I don't remember what it was called initially, but it essentially a corners liaison and that that connection between the corners is something we never had. We work closely with the corners, but we never had someone who was dedicated to seeing what they need and seeing that their needs are met and to, to maximize well, and our connect, opportunities. Yeah, and just connecting. You asked a simple question, right. what do you need? And then from that, it created this relationship where we could help each other. And and now we've got such a close relationship with pretty much every one of the 64 corners in this state. Mm-hmm. And and that was all fostered on because of Pam mm-hmm. and and her tireless work. And then when I say tireless, it's there's there's almost no one in Lopa that has a an uh, on button that's on for so long mm-hmm. right. without ever saying no. Uh, like Pam, and she travels everywhere, and she t- t- talks to every corner. It's it's funny, he, you know, talking to these coroners and and these investigators. Everyone knows Pam, mm-hmm. and that and it's so it's you know, and you've got that, and that drive has been there, uh, and and clearly your why has has made such an mm-hmm. impact beyond anything that you can imagine in 1997. You know, you've you. The impact went f- much, much further beyond Ryan even, you know, to, mm-hmm. to hundreds and hundreds to thousands of people that would not have yeah. life-saving organs or tissues because of you. Yeah. And so I just wanted to put that out there, Pam. But, that's, yeah. that, but I'm telling you, it couldn't happen without the team because what we asked for, the team met. Mm. And we can get it. Yes. What else? What else? What else do they want? Mm-hmm. What else do they need? Mm-hmm. X-rays. Full. Uh, we can do that. You know. And so when they started, you know, like I said, there was just one child had ever been released. And now, since then, that following year, we won the award for the most heart valve donors mm-hmm. in the nation. That's amazing. And we have won that every year. Mm-hmm. That's and it's because of the trust and that the following through mm-hmm. of providing them with what they need. Yeah. And it's like, you know, for them to know that it is a cardiac forensic pediatric pathologist that does the heart path report the pictures and slides Mm -hmm. and that help because they just don't have the equipment right in louisiana to do these things so they they have come accustomed to that and um and look at this year even now the coroners have we've started pushing research the last three four years and We've reached our goal of brain donation mm-hmm. and release um, just recently. And, you know, that you just can't measure. What mm-hmm. a legacy. Yeah. What a legacy for you, your career, for Ryan, just the CART legacy. And um, if you've been following social media, Lopa social media, Donate Life Rose Parade social media, you've seen this sweet face. And you've read about his story uh, because you guys have recently decorated a fluorograph, which is his image and organic materials, because where is your baby going to be on New Year's Day? Um, On New Year's Day, 
we are going to be standing proud with our chest out because Ryan will be rolling down Colorado Boulevard in Pasadena, California in the Rose Bowl Parade, along with John Clark Perry from Monroe, Louisiana, and Elise from Metairie, Louisiana. And no better year than this year has spoke volumes for it to be and for Ryan to be a part and that we get to share him with the world and uh, every family, every family deserves that. And we will be representing them and um, we get all the roses that are donated from Louisiana. I get to be a part of that and um, my family that's there. And we get to put the rose donated in someone's memory or in their honor on this float for Louisiana. And um, we get to read the quote that the person put in memory or in honor of the person that they're donating this rose for. And to me, that is just an honor that to be treasured, to be in control of. And I hope I don't put none of the flowers upside down. <laughs> And they have to come and say, oh, this is Pam's section. That's, uh, you always you stand know. out, Pam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and that, but um, to me, that in itself is just such an honor to have. To, to just let Louisiana know we are heard. We are all about making life happen and each one of us get up each day and many of us never go to sleep doing just that making life happen being there for the family being there for the hospital the work workers the you know and bringing back recipients where hospitals can see the fruit of their labor that phone call, that initiation of doing everything they can to support that family through that loved one's stay. And, and when the focus shifts, they help shift with that family to what the next steps are going to be and walking them through. And Sarah, of course, does that very, very well. And uh, I'm just so proud to be a part of this family at LOPA because I, I truly believe in our core purpose of making life happen. But I believe the highest one of that is integrity. And we all bring integrity to to these families, to these recipients. That's who I'm fighting for, is those recipients. Because 
Each day, many die waiting when there was maybe a potential out there. So most of the time, it is just an educational issue that can clear up so much. So we put our boots on, and that's what we do. And and Pasadena's never going to be the same after the Clark family's <laughs> passed through. That's right. <laughs> they will know Louisiana's in the house. <laughs> Aww. And, and you get to share it with your daughter and your grandchildren. My daughter and I have cousins husband. that oh. are all flying in to be there. They've all bought their tickets and... It, let me tell you, it's going to be like the clamp it's a pump <laughs> I, I am more excited. Yeah. There's going to be about 20 of them. So. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's a, a spectacular program. And Lopa sponsors a family who've been doing it for years. Um, and then the image of, of a loved one it is decorated in, in floral materials. It could be coffee, espresso, uh, it's uh, roasted at different levels. Oh, it's, it's just beautiful. And then that image is put on this float. And then the families have an opportunity to put flowers on the float itself to, to be a part of the process and then to watch their loved one roll down. And so um, as we anticipate this coming um, what is your heart doing? What are you feeling uh, kind of going into that? Oh, I'm, I'm very excited and just really honored. And um, definitely, um, you know, proud and, and really, you know, just excited. I'm excited to meet other families from around the, the country that's there and, and even the living donors we have one coming from Louisiana um, she's a young girl who at the age of 21 at least and uh, I know we'll have the opportunity to have her on the podcast um, in the future to to give her story and I just think at 21 to make a decision to be a living donor for a co-worker's husband who is a firefighter, that, that's a big decision. And uh, she's now 23. And so the funeral homes, and, and again, it just goes to show you the relationships that the funeral home is sponsoring her, that she works for, whose wife was the uh, wife of the recipient. And right there, I know it's connections because funeral homes play a big part in donation also as the coroners. And, and so being with them and being open and, and that this is the family's decision or the decedents already registered and a first-person consent of what they want at the time of their death and honoring that and supporting the families and honoring those wishes is very important also. I love that. And I love that from Louisiana, we'll have another family that's going to be represented and that's the Perry family. Mm -hmm. And I know you feel close to them as well. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, we we are excited too. They are, and when we did the floor graph together, I think it opened up their eyes definitely of what this all was. And um, 
you know, the representative with the uh, Rose Parade that helps with these florographs, uh, Liz Fox, she, she can tell you from, I think, from 1848 till today <laughs> how things happen there but um amazing she helps guide and educate and and you know when you were talking about the coffee and the um different spices and stuff they gave me and the perries um a jar it's a vase jar and the lid um and joey yes they take the lid for me because they know <laughs> That would not be a good thing, me walking around. Um, but when you lift that lid, they put everything that was used in the florograph. And it's it's like if you ever seen a sand, uh, how you do different color sand and mm, glass. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what it is. But it's of all the different seeds and um coffee and spices and when you open it i'm telling you the aroma is just fantastic to just to get that i don't know what it is but a scent of what goes into this and and how it comes together because before that, I really kind of thought you only could use flowers and you only could use, but like for Ryan's eyes, they, um, and they're very particular, you know, about matching colors and, and they want it to be exactly what the family sees. And, you know, um, the color of the eyes, uh, Ryan had hazel eyes and, um, so they did hydrangeas and did the colors and mixed the colors of different flowers and seeds and that to get the exact um, color uh, of his and, it, and it came it out beautiful. Just, yeah, it did. And and the twinkle and, and this Aww. is special to Louisiana. The twinkle in the eyes mm. is a grain of rice. Mm. What better? Mm -hmm. What better? Mm -hmm. We are rice farmers. That's, <laughs> That's right. What yep. we did. And Ryan um, was very high in, in 4-H and um, farming and conservation. And, uh, you know, we raised pigs and sheep and chickens and all of that for them to show. And, um and, you know, it just, to me, it just comes back a hundredfold. I love it. I saw them. They were beautiful. You can see the floor graphs um, on our LOPA Facebook page and the Donate Life Rose Parade uh, Facebook page. And then you'll see it in the Rose Parade uh, yourself when it rolls. And we do need to say, we talked about the Perry family. John Clark Perry was a baby. He gave the gift of life. Um, um his family and his and his recipient family have been on this podcast too, and so if you hear us talking about the LSU Auburn game and it's the game of donation, um, you get to see John Clark's uh, little recipient um, running around. So David. amazing, yes, so cute, um, and you can see that as well. I thought that one came out really well because he was a baby and had much hair, but I mean just the likeness that was captured. So uh, my yeah. family always and sits his around the TV. Hands. Oh, his little yeah. hands. 
by its chin. It it just I'm telling you, it, it's you know, and I and I can't go without saying um with Ryan, um, his best friend also died that day. They were on a four-wheeler, and Travis was also an organ tissue and eye donor and saved five lives that day and uh, gave sight to two. And a nurse from Lafayette General knew, because Ryan died at the scene, so he was tissue, but um, Travis was flown to a hospital. And the nurse from that hospital I was picking out the flowers actually for Ryan's funeral and at the flower shop. And, you know, you didn't have cell phones then. People could track you. And she called at that flower shop and the lady came and said, there's a call for you. And there was a nurse from Lafayette General. And she said, Pam, thank you so much for saying yes to donation because you have. The Smith family is also saying yes because y'all said yes. So that in itself just grew. And I just thought that how that happened, you know, and that it touched that nurse so much, she had to call me to tell me that. So many connections, <clears throat> so beautiful, so inspiring. Um, and uh, thank you for representing Louisiana. Thank you for sharing Ryan with us. Thank you for uh, taking the Perry family with you on this journey out to California. And we will see Ryan and John Clark on that float. Thanks, Pam. Thank y'all. I appreciate y'all. On The Gifted Life, we take a moment for mental health. Yeah, and this time we're talking about something I know nothing about, social media. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I know a little. Oh, I it hurts my ears. <laughs> I know, but we're all on it, right? So yeah. we got to talk about we it. We use it to communicate. Some of us use it really well. Some of us, you know, not so much. Yeah, <laughs> so we're going to talk about um, when using it can be really damaging for ourselves. So... We're going to talk about what it means to reassure seek. So when we're seeking reassurance from our friends, family, we all do it. It's okay. Sometimes you need to go talk to your friend like, hey, you know, I'm thinking I want to make this move or I want to do this and I need some like help. Do you think it's a good idea? Or even as simply as do you think this outfit looks okay on me? We all do it. Mm-hmm. What? I, I was I was I was thinking, does this make my butt look big? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's true. Um, edit that out. <laughs> Just send it uh, to his wife. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, so we all do it. We all reassure seek. But when does it become damaging? So when does it become a problem? Um, that's when it's really frequent and when you're dependent on it. So that's when you're ta- asking people all the time. That's it's your only form of validation is through reassurance. So that's when it's a problem. Sounds exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. But we all go through it. Mm-hmm. And then you've got social media where everybody is posting things, saying, giving their opinions, showing their lavish vacations, what have you. And then it can become really difficult because not only are we comparing ourselves, but then we start engaging and posting for reassurance. Mm-hmm. So yep. that's where it's the problem. Yep, I can see. I have I have a very close friend who, uh, if he doesn't have a hundred likes, yes, for everything that he posts, yes. he gets upset. He's like, "All right, I'm over a hundred oh likes. It's like a gosh. big deal." And, <laughs> and then it's a vicious cycle because yeah. then it's okay. So you got as many likes as you needed yeah. for your validation and reassurance. So then the next one has to be better. Or, be yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you have to every if you don't, then your day is ruined. Like that's mm-hmm. a problem. You know, we shouldn't. Sh- that shouldn't be where we seek our reassurance. <laughs> Social media is not the place where you <laughs> should go for that, right? But it happens. Yeah. So, yeah. kind of, how do we break that cycle? Then, how do we stop doing it where it's damaging, especially for you know women and body image? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's a huge one, especially for young girls on social media. Oh, the filters. <laughs> I mean, it, that's it's, right. It's just, everything Sometimes is a filter. Every time I see somebody, folks. I'm like, wait, they don't look like that. <laughs> yeah. And it's okay, but it's... It's just not it's real so beautiful. Bad. I really... Yeah. I feel sorry sometimes. I have, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for people who every... Like, if you look at, at the last 10 pictures and everyone has filters mm-hmm. and different things that they've done, edited, I just, you know, that's exactly... I feel right. like... They're just looking, seeking that, know, some reassurance. That reassurance and, and that validation. If that's the only place you're getting that, then and if it's dependent on that, then that's where it's a problem. Yeah. Um, so how do we break the cycle? Um, if we're going to post, we should engage in meaningful posting. So you should ask yourself, why am I posting this? What's the purpose? What am I trying to share? Um, think before you post. Yes. I think that mm-hmm, a lot mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. I'm scrolling through. Because I enjoy it yes. because I get to see updates of other people mm-hmm. that I don't get to see every day. Sure. People are out of state and that's how we keep up with each other's children and yeah. I like it but then sometimes there's a you know an an odd post in there and I'm like oh did they did they mean to do that like yeah. oh man or are they posting for acceptance? Yeah. Are or are you posting for likes cuz that's where your validation comes through? Um and also what are the consequences? So what are you trying to get out of this if it's likes maybe that's not their reason you should be posting and sharing mm-hmm. um, maybe you should go for more meaningful things like sharing your life with others in a realistic way mm-hmm. stuff like that mm-hmm. um and effectively address if you recognize that this is a problem if this is kind of hitting home for you address it so delete the apps that are causing you harm delete the things that you are going to reassurance for if it's the only thing so delete just get it you don't need it you know mm-hmm. Call a friend, look for a connection, because that's where you find true reassurance. And that's when you trust somebody, that's who you should be going to. So get rid of the, you know, the negative, toxic ways of reassurance and go for the ones that are tried and true. Yeah. Not everybody online is your friend. Like, mm-hmm. you know who your your friends are because they love you through your highs and lows, right? right? That's who you call. Yeah. yeah. And lastly, you should find different ways to grow. So whether you have to go to therapy because this is a true... Um, self-esteem issued where you're struggling with who you are and finding yourself seek out professional help Um, have self-compassion 
I say it constantly in this podcast, don't be so hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. Find ways that you like yourself and focus on those. Um, Or, you know, write in a gratitude journal, something that you're grateful for weekly. You know, there's so many different ways that we can reassure ourselves that are positive. minus, Minus through exercise. Yeah. You know, and I know it's self-reassurance, but like I feel good mm-hmm. when I, after I exercise, whether it's tennis or, or the CrossFit that I do, I feel like I've accomplished something. So like it, it gives me that gratification and, and I guess my own reassurance. You're that, reassuring yourself that, that you're uh, healthy and you're engaging yeah. in a lifestyle that you. This is what I want. Yeah. This is who yeah. I want to be. Yeah. Instead of, you know, like going to the gym and then posting it so that oh, yeah, other yeah, people yeah. reassure and validate you. Yeah. Good job, Joe. You're at the gym again. (laughs) There you go. Good deal. Maybe you have a topic you'd like Sarah to cover. All you have to do is email us, info at thegiftedlife.org. In our question and answer segment today, why would coroners ever deny donation? That's the question on the table. That's the question. So, of course, we need to bring in our resident coroner expert Pam Cart back in for uh, for that answer. So why would coroners deny? Well, there's uh, many reasons. Uh, definitely the, the main reason would be for the manner and cause of death, because when it's an unnatural death, the coroner has jurisdiction over the death because they're going to fill out the death certificate. And as we know, um, in many of these uh, scenarios and deaths, homicide or sudden death or people are found dead and um, there's no explanation. So it is their job and by law, they have to do an investigation to determine that manner and cause. So if they feel there's uh, interference that they would not be able to meet that, then they would say no. And in fact, um, in the beginning, when when we first started with this position, um, that was the answer they were giving was no because it was a homicide or it was child abuse or it was um, unexplained and. So then we began to say, well, what what do you need? You know, and they were like, well, we need blood. Well, I can't we Lopa can provide that for you and we can provide photographs and we can provide x-rays and scans. And so we began to uh, work together in collaboration because there should never be um, an interference with manner and cause of death because again the family wants to know what happened to their loved one and for many reasons um so um the coroners began to build that trust and the relationships began to grow and so today that there may be some restrictions to donations such as um with gunshot wounds to the head, do not go above the neck. Um, certain injuries, stay away from that organ. And one thing they have really trusted with LOPA is when these things uh, are found, uh, maybe something 
during recovery, we we contact the coroner immediately and um, let them know what was found and see how we can proceed. And so that trust has built to where they are confident that we will definitely inform them, keep them informed and provide them with the uh, information and the items they need to do their investigation. And, and if I can take that a step further, not only has Pam built up the relationships between Lopa and the coroners to establish that denials wouldn't take place, mm-hmm. they've also now established uh, what's, what's known as the MDI log, which is a way for the coroners to uh, actually provide referrals to Lopa on some uh, tissue don or some potential tissue donors that n- never make it to the hospital and coroners are investigating. So, so just to give you a little kudos to Pam, uh, so that that all comes from the relationship that's that's built there, from especially between Pam and and her group, and uh, and the coroners there. So we've come a long way from denials, uh, you know, years back to now. They're not they're not they're not denying, and they're even referring uh, a potential tissue donors. So that's a that's a that's a long way we've come. Right. And and to further that, they also those that do not have MDI log uh, either send an email of the deaths that are outside the hospital, because how those conversations came is families would ask, well, my nobody ever asked me about my dad or my child or my, you know, and I'm like, well, did they die at the hospital? no. So then that sparked a conversation to start with the coroners. And then they, they found it, <clears throat> excuse me, MDI log, like you said, Joey, and said, hey, Pam, I think I have something here that we can do. And they call in, they fax in, they, you know, and now um, starting 2022, They've even put a challenge out there for an award each year that will be passed on the highest percentage that are reported outside hospital deaths to help grow um, the tissue donation. And um, the coroner subcommittee that we have at LOPA that works with uh, the coroner association and many of the coroners and death investigators um, have taken on as our challenge this year uh, for 2022 is how do we develop and how do we um, refer more outside hospital deaths? So every family gets the opportunity for that. Yeah. All right. We're doing big and better things, always looking for new opportunities. Thanks, Pam. Uh, If you have a question for us, why don't you give us a call? 504-648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. And today's hero is Ryan Court. And of course, no better person to tell Ryan's story than his mama, Pam Court. Ryan Scott Court was full of courage and hope. He was confident in his strength, 
of expectation for a firm assurance and humility to value others above himself. Brian impacted the lives of each person he touched. He was selfless in giving, loved all, and worshiped one. Ryan brought a message of courage and hope to his classmates, along with his community. The community of our small town was given courage, hope, and the strength from the impact Ryan displayed in loving deeply. To be involved in this celebration this year of this breathtaking courage to hope captures the heart of our mission for Ryan. To be a family member and join with others to represent millions touched by organ tissue and eye donation, words fail to describe the feeling. As Ryan's family, we have also dedicated a rose to this float in the memory of Travis Smith, Ryan's friend who also died with Ryan and was an organ tissue and eye donor. Two boys living the country boy life. Ryan's verse for his standard of living was John 15, 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And now we pause and say thank you to Ryan for the gift of life. And that is episode 177 of The Gifted Life. Special thanks to Pam Cart, and especially for sharing Ryan's story with us. And I sure, I can't wait to see him coming down Colorado Boulevard in Pasadena Mm -hmm. on that float. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't wait to hear all about it Mm -hmm. when she gets back. Such a treasure. Um, So be looking out for that for the Rose Parade. Uh, We want to thank you for listening, guys. And remember, you can always register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor anytime. Registerme.org. And the best place to find us, tell your friends, is on our website, thegiftedlife.org. You can listen to any of our episodes on our website or anywhere you like to listen, whether it's iHeartRadio, Apple, or Google Podcasts. Uh, And remember to rate, review, and subscribe so that others can find the podcast. On social media, our Facebook page is called The Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Our ask is that you share what you learned here today and that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. Have a good one. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. Troy Perez.